Well, hello everyone. This is Dr. Leslie Kernison of Better Health While Aging. And today I've decided to record another COVID update for the Better Health While Aging community. So I'm going to cover some updates related to COVID and vaccination for aging adults. And today is May 14th, 2021. Specifically in this update, I'm gonna do a little recap of uh, where we're at regarding COVID and vaccines. I'm gonna share a little bit of a reaction to the latest CDC announcement regarding um, masking for fully vaccinated people. I'm gonna talk about breakthrough COVID cases. If you haven't heard of what those are, I think it's an important thing to know about, especially since we've had some breakthrough cases in nursing homes. I'm gonna share some information about some recent studies that I've come across related to COVID safety and efficacy in older adults and also in people who are immunocompromised. And then I'm gonna share some thoughts about safety and how I think it makes sense right now, given where we're at, to think about your risk and your risk to others. And I'm gonna close with some recommendations. If, uh, if you think this is too long and you don't have time to read it or view it, I just wanna give you my take home points or a few of them right away. So first and foremost, although uh, I sometimes think that um, COVID vaccination doesn't make people as bulletproof as they might think or hope, uh, I wanna start by saying that I overwhelmingly recommend COVID vaccination um, for all adults and all um, older adults. Uh, so I think you can on one hand think of it as a civic duty. It is key to getting the pandemic under control to protecting our communities and to protecting um, ourselves. And, uh, and so even if I thought there was a little bit of a risk, I'd probably do it. But actually, the risk is really minimal. The evidence so far is overwhelmingly that it's safe. Your risk of harm from COVID is way higher than your risk of harm from the vaccine. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some people who have been harmed by the COVID vaccine, there have definitely been, um, there are some rare cases of very serious side effects, but they are really, really rare. You are at much higher risk of getting hurt standing on the sidewalk by a passing vehicle or driving on the highway, or I think even struck by lightning. Um, so it's important to keep the, the risk in mind. And then importantly, vaccination is effective in almost everyone, including the vast majority of older adults, including the vast majority of people in nursing homes. I mean, that's really what we are seeing as a result of the, uh, the data. So um, the only people in whom it seems like it might be less effective are people who have problems with their B cells and T cells, those are white blood cells, who are immunosuppressed. Uh, so I totally recommend COVID vaccination. On the other hand, as I'll explain um, in this update, uh, it won't make you COVID proof. So I think, yes, people should get vaccinated, but I also think it's premature to act as if the pandemic is entirely over just because they are vaccinated. Uh, in part because a lot of people in the country still are not vaccinated. But if you have been fully vaccinated, congratulations. And I do want to encourage you to feel safer and many activities should now be okay to participate in and they're definitely safer than they were earlier in the year. So um, now where are we at right now? Um, so as of today, May 14th, we're at about 32.8 million cases in the United States and about 584,000 deaths. Um, and 
And we did have a little bit of an uptick in cases in April. It was just starting to come up last time I recorded an update in late March. Uh, and it went up a bit, but then it came back down. And so there was concern about a fourth surge. It didn't really materialize, thank goodness. There were some pretty significant flares in a few uh, states, but overall things have gone better in the last four weeks. So we've gone from 60 to 70,000 cases in the first part of April, this is per day, to about 35,000 cases per day right now. And it looks like US cases are still on a bit of a downward trend, even though there are a few spots that are seeing increases. Also in the United States, uh, we've been very fortunate to have a vaccine campaign roll out several months ago. And right now we have 119 million people fully vaccinated and 154 million who have had at least one dose. So that corresponds to 36% of the population fully vaccinated and 47% with uh, at least one dose. However, that definitely varies depending on the part of the country that people are in. There have been lower vaccination uh, rates in some states and some counties, especially the ones that are more rural, the ones that tend to vote more uh, conservatively. Um, and then right now we currently have three vaccines available in the United States, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are mRNA vaccines, uh, which were approved um, at the very end of 2020. And then the uh, Janssen, also known as Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which was approved at the end of February. And then just this week, the Pfizer vaccine was authorized for uh, children ages 12 through 15. And actually my daughter got her first uh, vaccine dose today. She's very excited about that. So things are good in the United States. However, globally, it is another story. Uh, so worldwide, we actually hit a peak of daily cases in late April, over 900,000 cases per day for a while. There has been a really severe outbreak in India, in parts of South America. Many countries in Europe have been working to bring their daily cases down. They've made improvements over the last month, but they're not where they want to be. And vaccination rollout has been slow or hasn't happened yet in most other countries. And there is still some concern about variants. There's actually a newer one that is now uh, called B1617, uh, which has been prevalent in India, which is now actually uh, increasing in the United Kingdom, and they're considering some local lockdowns there. And so far, the vaccines that we have appear to protect against these variants. They definitely seem to protect against severe illness. They may be less effective against mild or any illness for some of the variants. So. You may be thinking, well, everything's fine in the United States, and that's true, we're in a very good position right now. But uh, the concern is that when there's a lot of COVID activity in other parts of the world, it can eventually come back to us. Now, the more we have people vaccinated here, the better position we are in to uh, not get swamped by another surge. Um, but it is an issue. And also uh, when COVID is circulating, it tends to mutate and variants arise and the variants wanna compete. And so there is always the possibility that at some point variants could emerge um, against which our vaccines are significantly less effective. So we're in a good spot here in the States, but um, experts are definitely watching the global situation with concern. Um, so, um, so yes, this is what I was just uh, referring to um, 
uh, right here. And so I would say things are a lot better, but we are not out of the woods, especially given that overall less than 40% of the US population is fully vaccinated. Now you may be thinking, but we vaccinated most of our older adults and high-risk people. Um, yes, and this is great. I mean, um, it is amazing how the rates of COVID and COVID hospitalization and death have fallen among the older adult population, among the nursing home population. Um, and that is because the vaccines, especially the Pfizer and Moderna ones, um, the Johnson and Johnson one also, uh, you know, one of the things I was realizing as I was doing this is you're going to hear me talk more about Pfizer and Moderna. And that's partly because we have so much more data about them because they were out a few months before. And so a lot of the research that's published by the CDC or other people is about them. Um, but uh, the vaccines, including Johnson & Johnson, have shown great effectiveness against preventing hospitalization and death, which are the outcomes that have the most impact on us uh, as individuals and as uh, families. However, we are still seeing breakthrough COVID infections in some people who are vaccinated. And in a little while, I'm going to take you through some of um, uh, the data on that. Uh, also, even though we have lots of older adults who are fully vaccinated, 15% um, of them have not yet had a single dose. So the estimate right now is that about 72% of them are fully vaccinated. I think it's something like 84% who have had at least one dose, but there's 15% who have not had a single dose yet. So that's not a trivial number. We still have um, a lot of unvaccinated people overall in the United States, people who are under 65, people who are opting to not get vaccinated or who haven't quite gotten around to it or are thinking maybe they would, but they are concerned about the cost, even though it's not supposed to cost anything. So, um, um, and even younger people um, can die of COVID. Plus, even if you're not hospitalized, or put at death door from COVID, uh, COVID can make people quite sick. Even if they have mild cases, they can feel unwell for weeks or sometimes months. A minority of people end up getting what they're calling long hauler COVID where they have prolonged um, symptoms or something like chronic fatigue syndrome. So it's, it's really not trivial <laughs> to have COVID still circulating in the country, even if we have made amazing progress by vaccinating older adults and the high risk people. Last but not least, it is still unclear how much transmission happens among vaccinated uh, people. And, um, and in a moment, I saw that just, you know, today, because of the CDC's recent announcement, they said, well, we have this new, you know, study that we're publishing that showed that the vaccines were really effective. And I'll take you through that study. But, you know, that study was in healthcare workers. The median age was 38, and it was between January and March. So, I mean, that's great. But... <laughs> the same time, there's still a lot we don't know about transmission of COVID in vaccinated people of different ages or what might be happening now, especially as the variants evolve with time. So a couple words about uh, the recent CDC updates this week. Um, so the CDC has been kind of evolving its guidance on masks and social distancing this spring, very appropriate. So in late April, they said masks weren't um, uh, required, they didn't think they should be required for vaccinated people outside or in small indoor gatherings. And then yesterday, they uh, announced um, 
somewhat apparently to the surprise of many people in the public health community and even other people in uh, federal government and state government, they announced that they thought fully vaccinated people can stop wearing masks or social or socially distance indoors and outdoors. So they did say that there are still going to be a few exceptions. So there is a federal mask mandate for transportation that was extended earlier this spring. It was supposed to expire in May, and they extended it through September 13th. So that's still in force. That applies to airports, planes, uh, buses, trains, um, and it's also recommended for public transit. And, um, and then also uh, this new guidance doesn't apply to healthcare facilities or nursing homes. Um, and they also said this is just for fully vaccinated people. And so unvaccinated people should continue to wear masks and socially distance. And lastly, they said that this is their suggestion, but that it doesn't supersede state and local regulations and that um, local areas or states can still make stricter rules and that those would need to be observed. So the reactions to this. So on one hand, this is exciting. I mean, it's a sign of how far we've come, right? The COVID cases have come way down in the United States. More and more people are getting vaccinated. The vaccines so far are for the most part working really well. And a lot of people were concerned about this announcement. I was among them, but, and I was reassured in looking at, you know, the news that many other public health experts voiced some concerns. So one huge concern is just about enforceability. So basically, when you're in an indoor space with people you don't know, it's going to be very hard to tell who is vaccinated and who is not. Now, maybe all the unvaccinated people are going to observe um, the regulations very closely and remain masked, and all the people who are unmasked are the fully vaccinated people, but it, it's hard to know. So there is going to be a sort of enforcement issue. And so for me, I'm fully vaccinated. But if I go with my 10 year old son into an indoor space, and all these people are in masks, that's going to make me a little uncomfortable, because I don't know that they are all vaccinated. I'm actually going to assume that some of them may not have been vaccinated. Um, so I think from a practical perspective, it was a little bit of an odd choice. And certainly for people who work in indoor spaces. So I don't work in a indoor space where there are lots of other people coming in and out, but some people do. Some people work in grocery stores or other stores or restaurants. Um, so now they're going to be facing a lot of unmasked people and not know those people's vaccination status. Um, I mean, if they themselves as workers are vaccinated, they should worry about it much less, but um, I still can see it being a little awkward. So I think what this means is that we may see increased COVID risk indoors, especially to people who aren't protected by vaccination. So children uh, right now under age uh, 12, um, so 11 and under and others who may not be eligible to be vaccinated. And then all those people who aren't yet or don't wanna be vaccinated. And then there is um, a small number of people who are vaccinated but are likely to be less protected if they're immunocompromised. And I'll talk more about what we've learned about that in a moment. Um, and then, I mean, I've been looking at the data all day today in preparing to do this, and I think it's still, um, it's still unclear how much transmission there might be among vaccinated people. We certainly know that as some number, you know, small probably, um, of vaccinated people do end up testing, they do end up getting COVID. <laughs> They end up testing positive for COVID, but there will be others of them who have COVID who aren't testing positive because if they feel fine, why would they get tested? 
So I think it's still an open question how much transmission um, there will be. And also that has the potential to change um, as we develop variants who are going to be competing to be more transmissible. So, uh, so yeah, so I have mixed feelings about the, um, the recent updates and, um, and we'll have to see what happens in my local area in indoor spaces um, as a result of this. Um, so there's a lot we don't quite know about, you know, COVID and transmissibility among vaccinated people, but there are some things that we definitely do know. And so we can rely on those fundamentals, I think, as we evaluate situations. So one thing we know is that COVID is mostly transmitted by aerosols, by what people exhale, especially when they are talking, shouting, singing, and it's overwhelmingly transmitted indoors because that's where the air stays that's where other people's exhalations are likely to get into the space that you will inhale. Because if you're outside, there's so much air outside that everybody's exhalations get swept away and diluted uh, pretty quickly. So we know that about COVID. So outdoors is pretty safe and indoors is where there's more um, risk. We also know that vaccination, uh, what we know vaccination does really well is protect against death and hospitalization. Um, we know much less about how well it protects against asymptomatic transmission. Part of that is because when people are sick enough to be hospitalized, they show up in the hospital. We count them. <laughs> if they were vaccinated and happened to catch some COVID and be asymptomatic, and a lot of studies of breakthrough infections have found that a significant chunk of people are asymptomatic, they're mostly not going to get counted unless they work in a place where everybody is tested regardless of symptoms regularly, like a healthcare um, environment. So, um, so yeah, so we do know that some breakthrough infections are happening. Most appear to be asymptomatic, but there are occasional hospitalizations. And we know that COVID keeps mutating and has been a wily adversary. So I would not, I would not underestimate COVID. And so that doesn't mean we have to walk around in fear right now, especially if you are fully vaccinated, but uh, I also think it's not, we're not out of the woods, as I was saying. So about these breakthrough cases. So I have been following this with interest because one of the things that I've wondered about from the beginning is if frail older adults who often mount a less effective response to vaccines in general, whether they would be more likely to get COVID cases after uh, vaccination. So what is a breakthrough case? Um, so a breakthrough case when we are talking about COVID means testing positive for COVID after being fully vaccinated. So it's been at least 14 days after the last injection for your vaccine. So if it's Pfizer or Moderna, 14 days after your second injection, and if it's Johnson and Johnson, 14 days after the single injection. So the CDC started tracking these earlier in the year. And through April 26, they tracked everything that was reported to them, whether the person got hospitalized or not. And they ended up with uh, 9,245 cases. Of those, 27% were asymptomatic and 40% were in age 60 plus. Now, this is definitely an undercount because this is passive uh, surveillance. This is just whatever is brought to their attention by the states. And again, especially the asymptomatic cases are only going to generally be picked up when people are working in an environment where they're required to get tested regularly. And then of those uh, 9,000 some cases, they had 594 hospitalizations that were related to COVID and 112 deaths. 
So that's what they reported through April 26th. Now, from May 1st onward, they said that they were going to only basically track breakthroughs that cause hospitalization or death. So now they have a slightly different data set there. And um, as of May 10th, they have 1,359 cases. So I think that's cases since they started counting at early in the year of hospitalizations or deaths. And of those, 79% of them involve people who are over age 65 and they have 181 deaths. Um, and I thought it was interesting that in just a few weeks, they went from 112 COVID-related deaths to 181 COVID-related deaths. So I don't know if we're doing a better job counting them or it's just that we have a lot more people who are vaccinated now. Now, Breakthrough cases are happening in nursing homes. Uh, so there have been a number of reports of different places. There's actually just earlier this month, I saw there's an outbreak in uh, Washington state um, where people were vaccinated. And um, now most nursing homes have people who are vaccinated and who are not. Most of the unvaccinated people are staff members actually. So staff members um, have lower vaccination rates than the residents, um, but here, uh, there, I will share a link. Um, there's a, a CDC report on an outbreak that took place in Kentucky in March. They actually did a genomic analysis on the COVID and it, it was a variant, not one of the known variants of concern, but it was a variant that was uh, relatively new in that community that hadn't been seen before that. So they had 46 cases of which 22 were breakthrough cases. Um, three residents died uh, one was vaccinated um, and the two others were unvaccinated, but one of the unvaccinated deceased residents had previously had COVID. So I think I said this in the last one, like if you've had COVID before, that doesn't mean you can't get it again and get quite sick from it. <laughs> and that's not a reason to skip vaccination in my mind. Um, one of the vaccinated workers uh, experienced a symptomatic reinfection. I think otherwise a lot of the symptomatic um, reinfections were in residents. So they ended up estimating um, based on the data they had with that outbreak that the vaccine um, efficacy was 86.5% against symptomatic COVID-19 among the residents and 87% among the healthcare providers, so the staff. So um, that's actually pretty good. And I was glad to see that it wasn't that much lower um, among the uh, residents. That said, among healthcare providers, you know, we have 87%, which is good. It's just less than 95%, which they sometimes see in other studies. Um, the efficacy against hospitalization seemed to be 94% among the residents and no healthcare uh, professionals were hospitalized. So you kind of, it's either 100%, but it's a small number. So um, I guess it would be 100% here, effective. And then three residents died. And again, two of those were unvaccinated. So that gives a 94% um, efficacy uh, against dying, um, but it also has a pretty large 95% confidence interval of 45% to 99%. So, um, and again, this isn't an isolated incident. There have been other instances of breakthrough cases and they do think they're often they do think they all often start with an unvaccinated staff member who brings it into the facility and then it spreads to residents. So the good thing is that what we're seeing is that frail nursing home residents are mostly avoiding hospitalization 
and death from COVID if they've been vaccinated. So that is great. At the same time, in an outbreak in a nursing home remains quite disruptive. Whoops, sorry. Uh, it remains quite disruptive because, um, because actually they have to shut down all the activities again in most cases. They start quarantining residents in their room again, which makes a lot of them quite sad, especially if they have dementia. They may stop family visitations for a while. So even with vaccinated residents, outbreaks are, are not trivial. And actually, let me see if I can show everybody uh, right now. There is also... There's also a CDC dashboard right here for cases and deaths in nursing homes. Um, so what you can see right here is that the cases in nursing homes have gone way, way down. Awesome. Um, and uh, they are still um, at about 1,000 cases per week. Uh, so this is much better than over here when they were um, uh, something like some insane number, like 30,000 cases per week. Um, but you know, that's still a thousand residents per week. And then the deaths also have gone way, way down. Um, and they have been at around, you know, 450, between 400 and 500 deaths per week in nursing homes due to COVID. So again, things are much better, but it's not like this, um, COVID in nursing homes has stopped being a problem altogether. Okay, other recent breakthrough COVID incidents. So in Singapore, they have had an outbreak that started among their airport workers. It actually seems to have started with an 88-year-old vaccinated worker. I think it's great. He's working at uh, 88. Um, and it resulted in 19 breakthrough cases among 28 workers. I think they were all vaccinated with either Pfizer or Moderna. And several have been positive for B1617, the variant that emerged in India a few months ago. Um, the New York Yankees, just this week, uh, it was announced that they had eight cases of COVID, um, even though they were all vaccinated with Johnson & Johnson in April. One person was mildly symptomatic. And then I also heard today that Bill Maher, <laughs> the TV host, tested positive for COVID and had to cancel the taping of his show. He's 65. He's asymptomatic. He feels fine. But I think, again, this reflects the fact that there are probably more breakthroughs than we realize. And, um, and nobody knows how many of those might be transmitted to other people or not, because it's, it's quite hard to count that, uh, actually. So hopefully they're not transmitting, but for right now, we don't really know. So what you should know about breakthrough COVID cases. Um, so they are almost all asymptomatic or mild, especially in people who are younger, even in nursing homes, you know, we haven't, uh, there've been very few hospitalizations or deaths due to breakthroughs. So again, the vaccine is working when it comes to preventing hospitalization or death from COVID. Uh, we don't really know how transmissible these infections are, uh, which is relevant for the risk to unvaccinated people. They're definitely being undercounted, but the overall number appears to be low, especially in the working age uh, population. So you don't necessarily need to worry about them, but you should definitely know that they exist. And I think it's possible that we'll see later this year that they become more common in the future due to the variants. So that remains to be seen. So moving on to updates about the COVID vaccines. Safety-wise, uh, the big news in these last several weeks was that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uh, was paused for 10 days in April. 
to investigate rare cases of clotting problems. I think when they paused it, there were six women who had developed a uh, really serious form of clotting um, disorder. There were, I believe, a few deaths. Um, the overall rate was still very low, so they resumed vaccination. And so as of this week, they've had 28 cases overall. Six of them are in men, but they've administered 9 million doses. So it's still an extremely low rate, even in the group that seems to be at highest risk for this, which is uh, women between the age of, I think, um, 30 and uh, 50. And all of these problems have been in people under age 59. So. Uh, I don't think it's anything to worry about, but it has, I think, been bad for the image of the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine and gives you know people who are already hesitant more cause for concern. Um, otherwise, um, news in terms of efficacy in older adults. Um, so a study was published just um, this month, I think, in the Lancet. So I follow up on the Israeli data. Uh, on um, the outcomes now that they've vaccinated a lot of people in their country with the Pfizer vaccine. So what was cool about this study is that they showed the vaccine efficacy in ages 65 plus, 75 plus, and 85 plus. And let me see if I can share that for a moment. Uh, so you can find it right here. Okay, we'll see if... So what you want, um, so first of all, in this table, they show uh, the outcomes, the vaccine efficacy um, for um, different forms of COVID. So asymptomatic infection, symptomatic, COVID-19 hospitalization, severe critical. So again, for asymptomatic cases, those are probably only going to be picked up if people are in a situation where they get tested regularly. Uh, otherwise, I'm, or maybe if they were the close contact of somebody the others are people feeling unwell and coming in. And, um, and, uh, and the numbers look, you know, overall um, pretty good. The people, um, well, for asymptomatic infection, actually, what they found was uh, for over age 65, it's 86% compared to uh, 93% in people who are age 16 through 44. That's unadjusted. They have also an adjustment, which I won't go into statistically. So it still shows it's a little bit lower in people who are older, but not a lot. Um, and then as you get kind of up into the severity of, uh, of illness, so here we have symptomatic COVID, uh, the numbers are really like all kind of the same for all age groups. So right in the order of 96 to 97% for hospitalization, um, I mean, for the young people, it's 98%, but for the over 65, we're at 96, you know, and a half basically. So not a significant difference. Um, same, you know, reassuring right here. So just a tiny bit uh, worse for older adults for severe or critical COVID hospitalization, but it's, you know, in the young people, it's 99% effective. And in people over 65, it's 97% effective. So it's still, you know, very good. Um, and then for death, it was, um, uh, quite good in all the age groups as well. So, um, so that was good to see, but of course I'm always like, well, over 65 is nice, but what about over 75? What about over 85? Uh, because over 65 is a very large diverse group for me. And so what's great is that they have this box right here where they actually broke it down for people who were over 65, over 75 and over 85. Um, 
I don't know why they quite did it that way instead of like 65 to 75, but this, this is what we have. And uh, so again, what we see is as people get older over 85, asymptomatic infection, uh, the efficacy is 83% compared to 88.5% for those who are over 65. Um, but then when we get into the more serious consequences, there's actually not much difference as people get older, as you can see, right? All of these numbers are pretty much in the 96 to 97% range for all of these. So, um, so I thought that was really nice. Now, I looked through this, I couldn't tell how many people they had in each of these groups. Um, although I think they do have uh, confidence intervals uh, right here and the confidence intervals are quite good for the very severe consequences and they're a little wider. Um, right here for asymptomatic infection. But overall, that was just, uh, I thought, excellent news. And I was really glad to see it. Let me go back to the slides. So, um, uh, so my conclusion was, well, it looks like there might be um, a little bit there seems to be a little bit more risk of having a breakthrough infection as people get older, whether that turns into a risk of passing on COVID or not, you know, we don't know. Um, and that those over age 85 should generally expect to get excellent vaccine protection from serious COVID illness, from hospitalization and death. So that is just such good news. Um, there was also, you may have seen it in the news, it was right at the very end of April the published date on it on the CDC is the first part of May, 2021. But they had a report on hospitalized older adults where they said the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine was 94% effective against COVID-19 hospitalization among fully vaccinated adults age 65 or older. So a uh, couple of things. Um, this is good, this is encouraging and caveats. Um, so it was a not they didn't have a lot of people in the study. It was 417 older adults. You only were considered for the study if you were hospitalized in this network of hospitals with COVID-like illness. <clears throat> it took place from January to March, 2021. And basically if you were hospitalized uh, and you met the criteria, then they, and you had been tested for COVID, if you tested positive, you were a case. If you tested negative, they would have put you as a control. And then they kind of looked back and said, what are the odds that this person was vaccinated. And that is how they calculated a hospitalization vaccine uh, efficacy. So, you know, it's not the same as having a group of people and following them prospectively, but uh, it's still useful. Again, we don't have the breakdown in terms of over 75, over 85. And overall, there was only one fully vaccinated person who was hospitalized. So I feel like this is encouraging, but this is still, you know, a relatively small um, amount of data and didn't tell us about illness or asymptomatic uh, infections, which I'm, you know, still kind of curious about. And then, uh, you know, hot off the press release today, there's another headline about, um, about how effective the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are. And apparently the CDC cited this, you know, as part of the rationale for relaxing the max guidance indoors. Um, so, uh, what they found was that a single dose of mRNA um, vaccine, so Pfizer and Moderna, was 82% effective uh, against symptomatic COVID-19. So that's after the first dose, and after two doses, 94% effective. Yay! Um, but what you need to do is every time you hear about a study, I encourage you to say, like, who was studied? <laughs> what were the ages of those people? What were they doing? What was the time period? So in this case, this was... Uh, 
1,800 healthcare workers um, in January through March of 2021. And the median age, I was surprised. It was really low. I think it was a study of like residents and interns <laughs> with the attendings uh, and other workers um, because the median age was 38, which seemed to me like pretty darn low. So they only had 31 people in the entire data set who were over age 65. So this is exciting. This is encouraging. This is not about older adults. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so this is great news, you know, in terms of young people being vaccinated and healthcare workers uh, who are in this age range um, being vaccinated. But it's still, um, you know, um, I, we know actually that these vaccines are effective in older adults, but not because of a study like this. We know it because we're seeing, you know, especially the numbers relatively low in nursing homes and among old, older people. So another development in the last two months has been, um, you know, uh, developing our understanding of how immunocompromise affects COVID vaccination. Um, so. It really, uh, a number of very small studies have come out at this point. Some of them are case studies, so reporting on a, a, a patient or a series of patients. Some of them are small studies of people who have received transplants or on certain medications. And it does all suggest that the vaccine is not as effective in some people. So they're still trying to figure out exactly who. It seems to be those who are immunosuppressed, um, especially if they are taking medications well, especially if their white blood cells, specifically their B cells and T cells are affected either by their disease. So if they have certain types of what we call hematological malignancy, so cancers related to blood cells, white blood cells, uh, or if they're on medications that affect those types of cells um, like rituximab or um, Imbruvico is another one that was cited in um, some papers on this. And uh, so they're, they're seeing that those people aren't developing antibodies after vaccination. Now, before you say, I wanna run off and get my own antibody level checked, um, those kinds of checks are generally only available in the context of one of these special studies, but that you know that is what they're finding. They've also noted that some people who have these types of immunocompromise, when they get COVID, end up being sick for a very long time. They shed COVID for a very long time. And some of them, they've actually watched them during the course of their weeks and months of illness and seen them develop variants. So there's now this theory that this may be one of the ways that variants emerge is when people can't kind of kick out the COVID quickly within a few weeks. And so it sort of stays there getting to figure out new tools to use uh, against your body. And so those are especially people with impaired B cells or T cells. So, um, so what about the effect of immunocompromise because of very advanced age or frailty? So we know that the immune system function declines as people get older. <clears throat> this is still being studied, but really, you know, based on what we see in nursing homes with these outbreaks and with these breakthroughs, um, Yes, you know, maybe you're at more higher risk for a breakthrough if you're of advanced age or frailty. But overall, we're still seeing that most of those people don't get hospitalized or die of, uh, of COVID. So it really seems to be most significant in people who have this kind of immune compromise of their B cells and T cells due to their illness or their medication, and less of a concern in people who just are quite old in, you know, their 90s or very frail. So... 
One thing I noticed after I posted the last update is we got a lot of questions on better health while aging with people who were concerned that the vaccine hadn't worked for them, often because they didn't get a fever or a headache or the blahs afterwards. So if you're wondering, how do you know if the vaccine worked for you? So again, you probably can't get tested for this. I've looked into it actually for a family member. Um, there's not really a commercially available test. The CDC discourages people trying to get antibody tests to check on vaccine response, in part because the tests haven't been calibrated or developed for that purpose. People do develop a method when they do a scientific study and when they publish it, they explain the exact method. But unless you're in one of these trials, um, it may be hard to get tested for this. But I wanna say, don't worry if you didn't get symptoms after vaccination. So it is reassuring in terms of, is it working? If you get a fever or headache after your first dose or second dose, but if you didn't, um, the vast majority of the time, you still mounted a, uh, a response. Now, what actually a lot of the research shows is that the older and frailer people get, the more time they need to fully mount the response. So if you look at the response after two weeks, the older and frailer people are, the more it lags, but given enough time, it usually catches up and becomes pretty good. They're still studying now to see like what happens after three months, you know, there's still a lot of research that's being done. But in general, I would say if you have been vaccinated, unless you have one of these health problems affecting your white blood cells or are on a medication, uh, to treat a um, blood cell problem, or that's a powerful immune suppressant, or if you're a transplant recipient, unless you fall into that category, I would say just assume you responded to the vaccine and that you are protected. But don't assume you're COVID proof. And I personally, I'm like cautious about this. I would say don't assume you can't pass it on to anybody <laughs> because <clears throat> we don't know that now. And I just feel like with the variants doing their variant thing, you know, who knows where things will be at. Uh, later on. So a small number of people are getting breakthroughs. The variants might increase this. And this question of to what extent do vaccinated people um, get breakthrough infections and then can they transmit them is still under study. So right now I haven't seen anything to really provide clear information uh, on it. So, um, but as I find it, I will let you know. Um, so the safety questions. So these days you may be wondering what is safe to do and what might be less safe. And then I would encourage you to also think, you know, what's going to be less safe for older adults or are there any particular considerations we should make for older adults? Um, and so in answering this, I wanna encourage you to think about um, it in kind of two parts. One of them is how safe or risky is it for you personally? And the other is how safe or unsafe might you be making someone else? So how um, much risk might you be creating for another person in terms of risk of transmitting uh, COVID? And do we need to worry about putting others at risk? So again, this is you know about transmission. Uh, I think it's worth considering whether we're a risk to others, especially if we are around a lot of unvaccinated people for some reason. Uh, or if you are close to somebody, like maybe you have a parent or relative or friend who is vaccinated, but is one of those people who is a transplant recipient or has a problem with their B cells or T cells or is on in, you know, powerful immune suppressing uh, medication, because those people are at risk for a poor response to the vaccine, which makes them at higher risk for breakthrough COVID. 
The other thing is that in general, when we transmit COVID, it also perpetuates the epidemic. Now, I don't think it's realistic that we're going to get entirely rid of it uh, anytime soon, but ideally we'd like to keep overall community levels uh, low. So especially if we see them going up around us and thinking, even if we're vaccinated, what are the little things that I could do to help reduce transmission? Because you might easily not be aware if you were transmitting or not. I think it's worth thinking about. So what determines whether an activity is safe for you when it comes to COVID? So overall, things are going to be reasonably safe for you if, uh, first of all, if COVID rates are low in your community, right? Um, so if there's not a lot of COVID going around, then there's not a lot of risk that you could catch it, whether you're vaccinated or not, or pass it on. Um, and then things are going to be reasonably safe for you if you are vaccinated, you know, again, assuming you're not one of those people who's likely to have a weak response to the vaccine. Uh, because if you're vaccinated and get exposed to COVID, you probably won't actually catch it. And if you do, your case is likely to be asymptomatic or mild. So being fully vaccinated, I really think is a great thing for you personally. Now, what determines if you'll be a risk to others? So your risk to others is about a couple things. So first of all, your risk of exposure to COVID, which is about community transmission rates, and then your level of indoor exposure to people who might have it, to people who are unvaccinated or where you don't know, um, and how much time you spend in there, especially if you're unmasked. Um, it is also about your risk of catching COVID if you're exposed. So again, if you're fully vaccinated, your risk of catching COVID should be pretty low. Um, if you're not vaccinated, then you could catch it, especially if you're not wearing a mask and if unvaccinated people around you aren't wearing masks. Um, and then also if you're exposed, are you, you know, are you likely to have a good uh, response to the vaccine? Most of us are. Um, your risk to others is also about how much you expose other people to your exhalations. Uh, again, you're more of a risk if you're unvaccinated than if you are vaccinated, but you can ask yourself, you know, how much are you socializing indoors unmasked? And how protected are those people that you're socializing with unmasked from catching COVID? So if they're mostly vaccinated and likely to have a good response to the vaccine, there's very little to worry about. If they're not vaccinated, then yes, if you're vaccinated, probably you won't pass anything to them. And, you know, I think the safer course is um, to just be thoughtful about our time sharing exhalations <laughs> with other people. And then uh, your risk to others is about how at risk those people who you're exposing to your exhalations are uh, of serious COVID if they catch it. So if they're of advanced age or otherwise have risk factors of becoming very ill if uh, they get COVID. So in wrapping up, you know, questions that uh, people sometimes have, you know, if you're there wondering, should I get vaccinated against COVID? My answer is yes. If you're still wondering, should my 90 year old mother get the COVID vaccine if she hasn't gotten it already? I would say yes. How well does it work in older adults? Uh, pretty well, especially when it comes to preventing hospitalizations and deaths. So I say go for it. Um, and the only caveat is for people who, again, have uh, those immune compromise uh, conditions. Which vaccine is best for older adults and which is safest? Uh, so especially for the older age group over 65, they all seem pretty safe. Uh, we, have, we have a much longer track record and more data on effectiveness for Pfizer and Moderna. And Moderna also, for whatever it's worth, contains three times the amount of mRNA uh, in it and kind of gives a bigger kick. So I think it's more likely to goose people who are much older or might have a less vigorous immune system. 
Um, but you know, um, either Pfizer or Moderna should be a good choice. And Johnson and Johnson also in the study, you know, was found to protect against hospitalization and death in older people. But that was just in the study population. We don't have as much of a track record, you know, of how it's performed in real life with millions of people. Um, should I worry that the vaccine might harm me or my frail older parent? No, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, yes, it could happen, but you could also get hit by a bus crossing the street. So I just would say, don't worry about it too much. Um, and should I, uh, you worry that you haven't responded enough to the vaccine? And I would say, uh, no, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, now if you know you have a lymphoma, something HIV, these are conditions that affect B cells and T cells. There are lots of others. Uh, if you're on medication, potentially if you have an autoimmune disease and are taking medication for your autoimmune condition, I would say talk to your doctor to ask them if you can understand a little bit better your risk, because especially with the CDC telling, saying that masks aren't necessary indoors for fully vaccinated people. I do think that's going to result in more unvaccinated people not wearing their mask inside, either because mask mandates will be relaxed or they'll be hard to enforce, which means that there's going to be more risk of exposure to people who are unvaccinated or not likely to be well protected by the vaccine. So that's the thing that I would say we're going to need to keep in mind in the coming weeks and maybe months. And if you're wondering, how do we know what's safe given things keep changing? Um, so again, the general principles aren't changing that much. So Japan apparently has a three C's approach, which I like, which is basically like be more cautious when it comes to close spaces, crowded places and close contact situations. So again, anything that exposes you to what other people are exhaling out, <laughs> that's basically it. So um, vaccination makes a huge difference in your risk. More people being vaccinated helps because they're just going to be less people exhaling a lot of COVID when more people are vaccinated. Keep an eye on your local COVID rates. If they are low in your community, that's just safer for everybody. If they are going up, whether or not you're vaccinated, that might warrant a little bit more caution. And then outdoor activity is almost always safe and mostly doesn't warrant masking. So I'm glad to see that they are relaxing outdoor mask mandates. I don't know that they really need to be mandated for anything outside unless people are packed in, you know, shouting at a concert or something like that, maybe there. Uh, and then the indoor one, you know, I'm going to leave it to other people to make the rules. <laughs> but I think it's a little safer to mostly wear masks inside when you're with people you don't know very well or in kind of public environments. If you're having people over for your house, um, then if they're vaccinated and you are, that's great. If you're vaccinated and they're not, I mean, if they may be putting themselves at a little bit of risk, but I don't know that I would worry about it, but certainly for public spaces like grocery stores and the rest, um, I'd be a little bit sorry to see a lot of unmasking, but it's not, not up to me. So to wrap up with my recommendations, um, again, get vaccinated if you haven't already done so. Encourage vaccination for all adults. I'm not gonna weigh in on like teenagers. I did have my 13 year old vaccinated, but I haven't reviewed the data in children. So I don't wanna make a recommendation there. You should feel safer being vaccinated. No need to live in, you know, with as much worry or fear, I think, as there was before. Just don't assume that you are COVID proof. So I think it's always gonna be safer to pick the outdoor dining rather than the indoor and to just be thoughtful about the risks that you may be assuming for yourself or exposing other people to. Do take special care for those who are immunocompromised. And then 
yes, consider sensible precautions in indoor spaces, especially if the vaccination status of others is unknown, if COVID rates are going up in your area, or if you've heard about concerning variants in the area. Thank you for watching. Sorry it was long. It's just so much going on when it comes to COVID and vaccines. Please stay safe and take care.